Yeah, thanks for being here, guys, on this uh, crisp fall morning. Glad you made it out. I've got a confession to make. I'm going to start out with a confession this morning, and that is that for a good chunk of my adult life, I was really, really bad at managing my finances. It's not something we admit out loud very often, but it's something that I want to tell you about today because we are right in the middle of this series we're calling Be Rich, and we're talking about how God wants us to live rich lives, to be rich and generous with all of the resources that he's given us, and it took me a long, long time to learn how to do that. You see, I grew up very, very poor, and I know some people say that, and that means that like they didn't get the new iPhone right away when it came out. But I mean, we grew up very, very poor. We lived in Texas for most of my life. I grew up in a trailer park there. Let me tell you, trailer parks in Texas are the worst of all trailer parks. I don't know what trailer parks are like here in Alberta, but in Texas, they're kind of rough. We didn't have a lot growing up because my dad dropped out of school in grade nine. That was as far as he ever got in his education. For my entire child, he worked as a day laborer and as a maintenance man. He made $10, $11 an hour for my entire childhood. And as I've told you before, he was battling a lot of substance abuse issues. And so a good bit of what he made actually never made it home to us because it was spent kind of on his uh, addictions and issues and things like that. We lived, as I mentioned, in, in a trailer park for most of my life. There were times we had to move. In fact, we moved quite a bit. There were times where a trailer park was too good. (laughs) Times where we couldn't afford even to live in the trailer. And so instead, we would live in what were essentially abandoned houses. And I mean that. They were condemned. Nobody should have been living there. It was a regular occurrence in my childhood for the electricity to be shut off. So we would go a week, sometimes two, without any electricity or gas, sometimes even water. We would have to go to the neighbor's house as kids if we wanted to take baths and showers and things like that. We never had a phone. This was, you know, when I was a kid, there were no cell phones. It was just a landline. And we never had a landline because that was an expense that we absolutely could not afford. So growing up as a teenager, I could never ask a girl at school for her number because then I might have to admit that I don't actually have a phone with which to call her, which was horribly embarrassing and bad for my self-esteem as a young person. When I went to school, we had to get free lunches, free breakfasts and free lunches. We were essentially on school lunch welfare. That's a real thing. But we would get uh, free breakfast and free lunch at school every day because my parents literally didn't have the money to feed us three times a day every single day. Growing up, my dad never had a bank account, never. He never had a credit card, ever. He didn't even have a savings account. We literally lived paycheck to paycheck every single week. And when there was more week than paycheck, my parents used to go sell their plasma for 15 bucks a piece, like literally go donate blood for the $15 payment so that they could use the money, pay bills, buy uh, hot dogs or whatever it was. Now, look, I don't tell you all of that so that you feel sorry for me. I really don't want you to feel sorry for me. I don't feel sorry for me. In fact, I'm quite grateful for the childhood that I had growing up because it made me me, right? Like I wouldn't trade 
traded in for something else, even if I could, because it's a part of my story and I'm actually very grateful for it. And on top of all of that, my dad has actually been clean and sober now for quite a few years and he's done very, very well for himself. He's one of my heroes for everything that he's been able to accomplish in his life over the last decade or so. But I tell you that about my background and my upbringing and some of the difficulties that I went through so that you'll believe me when I say that growing up, I did not have one positive financial example in my life. Not a single one. There was nobody when I was a kid who taught me how to money. I just didn't learn that. They never taught me. There was no budgeting. There was no idea of income or expenses. There was none of that. So by the time I moved out of, uh, out of my dad's house and I got my first job, it was like, cha-ching, I can buy all the stuff that I was never able to have. We were never allowed to have any sort of name brand clothes or anything like that growing up. We just bought the cheapest stuff from the Walmart rack that we could get. So when I got my own cash, you better believe the first place I went was to the mall. I went and bought all the sweetest clothes, man. I had the name brand everything. I was paying way too much for it all. At the time, I really enjoyed playing video games. And so I bought every video game system you can possibly imagine. I was making like eight bucks an hour, but I was spending like I was making $35 an hour. It was amazing. I went out to eat all the time. I paid for my friends' dinners. Like I was just living the high life. It was amazing. From all outward appearances, I was living my dream. Everything that I couldn't have as a kid, I was now able to give myself. So everything seemed to be going great for a while. Over the next 18 months or so after I graduated, got my first job and started spending like crazy, I dug myself into a bit of a hole. Some of you guys have been there before. I spent way too much. You see, I was actually buying all the stuff by not paying for the stuff that I bought last month, you see? And so I kept digging myself into deeper financial holes. I found out that I could get a credit card, so I signed up for several. I found out I could get finance for a new car. Of course I had to do that. So I rolled around in a Ford Focus, you guys. It was amazing. I felt like such a boss. Rolling around Dallas, Texas in a brand new Ford Focus. It was amazing. I mean, I had everything that I thought I wanted, and then stuff started to go south. Because over the next 18 months or so, I wasn't paying my bills. And so I started to get those phone calls from first the bank or the credit card company, and then eventually it went to the collection agency. They cut off my cell phone. That was new then. It was like 98, 99. And so cell phones were kind of just starting to go mainstream. I was the first person I knew that had a cell phone. And then that got cut off. So that was a little embarrassing. Why don't you have your cell phone anymore? Well, (laughs) then my car got repossessed because I didn't pay that. And to top it all off, I gained a bunch of weight. And so I couldn't fit into all those new clothes that I had just bought. It was like I lost everything. It was terrible. It was absolutely awful. I just crashed, boom, straight down to the bottom. Now, I wish I could tell you that at this point, I had an epiphany. And I woke up and I learned my lesson. And I got it all right and I got out of debt and I started managing my finances very well. That's not how it happened. Three years after all that went down, I had met and proposed to my wife, my future wife, Amber. And we were going through premarital counseling. We were sitting in premarital counseling because I thought everything's pretty great. Let's just knock these three or four weeks out and then we'll be golden. We'll be ready to be married. But in one of the sessions, the counselor looked at Amber and he said to her, Amber, I know you love Daniel. You guys are about to get married. I know you really love him. But what is it that scares you about him? 
What's the thing about Daniel that worries you in regards or in relation to your future marriage? And she said something in that moment that broke my heart. She said, I don't trust him with money. She said, I'm afraid if I marry him, one day I'm gonna end up bankrupt. And I'll be honest, in that moment, I was so angry. I was so embarrassed. I was so frustrated that this woman who I thought loved me dearly would say something like that. But I wasn't angry at her. I was angry at me because I knew she was right. That I had made an absolute wreck out of my financial life. And then I expected to get married and for that all to go away, for that all to fix itself. That statement uh, from my future wife at the time, that statement kind of became the catalyst that forced me to confront my money issues, that forced me to admit that I was more concerned with looking rich than being rich. I didn't really care if I had money in the bank. I just wanted people to think that I had money in the bank. I didn't care if they were chasing me down the road ready to repo my car on the highway as long as people saw me driving the car. That's all I was concerned about. You see, I had put my self-worth, my value in the stuff that I owned, and it came back to bite me in the rear end. I came to realize that all of these things could not make me happy. I had to deal with that. I had to confront all of those demons inside of my life before I could get to where I was in a healthy place for my marriage, for myself, and for my relationship with God. Now, we're in the middle of this Be Rich series, and I tell you all of this history about myself, not because I'm a glutton for punishment, but because I want you to know that I've learned these lessons the hard way. This isn't just like, oh, good advice I read in a book somewhere. This is stuff that I had to learn and apply in my life so that I could be financially free, so that I could be, uh, so that I I was able to live generously on a regular basis. It was not an easy process, but it was something that I went through. And my hope is that you'll learn the same thing that God actually does not want you to be a slave to your circumstances. He doesn't want you to be so burdened with your responsibilities and your obligations and your contracts that you're not able to give and to live as generously as you know you ought to. This morning, we're going to start to wind up this Be Rich series. We're going to be back in 1 Timothy chapter number 6. But I want to remind you of where we've been. So in case this is your first week here, you'll uh, be fully caught up. You'll know exactly what's going on. We said in, in, in the beginning, we said that God wants his people to be rich. Now, this is not rich in the sense of driving around in a brand new Ford Focus, all right? That's not the sort of rich we're talking about here. God wants us to be rich in good deeds. That is to use the resources that God has given us, no matter how large or how small, in a way that benefits and blesses the world around us. That's what being rich is really all about. We live in a world where everybody's trying to get rich. That is, I want to earn, I want to have, I want to spend as much as I possibly can on myself so that my standard of living is very high. Everybody looks at me and they're jealous of everything I've got. That's how we approach things. And God says, no, no, I don't, I'm not as concerned with whether or not you get rich. I'm concerned with whether or not you live richly. I'm concerned with whether or not you are able to be rich on a day-to-day basis. So we said that's number one. Number two, we said that we all have more resources than we like to admit. We told you uh, two weeks ago, Two weeks ago, excuse me, we told you that if you are an average Canadian earner, then you are in the top 1% 
of wage earners worldwide. So when you look at the people on your block, you might think, oh, I don't really have as much as that guy or those people down there. But when you compare yourself to those around the world, you're in the top 1%. Now, I know you don't feel rich. I know that doesn't change things for you really, but you need to keep that in the back of your mind. You do have more resources than you ever thought you did. And then last week, we talked about the fact that ultimately God is the one who owns it all. We don't own anything. We get to keep it, hold it, manage it for a short little while, but eventually we have to turn it back over. Our car is gonna rust or it's gonna get repoed. You know, people grow old and they pass away. Our home is finally gonna deteriorate or it's gonna be too small and we need to upsize or downsize or whatever the case may be, we only hold on to things for a short period of time. God is the one who ultimately owns it. This week, I want you to understand the key to living free, the key to being generous in your finances. It is possible, and it's found right here in these verses. First Timothy uh, chapter number six, we're going to read verses 17 and 18. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich. There's that phrase. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Hey, that's God's direction. That's his plan for those of us who are his followers. Even if you're not a Christian, you're not a Jesus person, you're like, what the heck am I even doing in church this morning? There are some principles inside of this passage that if you were to apply it to your financial life, I promise you your situation would improve. It says here that we should be rich in our good deeds. And I think ultimately, every one of us want to be rich. That's not like something, nobody's like, no, I don't want to be rich in good deeds. I don't want to be a good person. I'm not interested in doing anything for anybody else. We all want to be rich. We all want to follow the example or the teaching of this scripture. Here's the problem. For most of us, we haven't left enough margin in our financial lives with which to be generous. Or we have not left enough margin in our schedule, our calendar, so that we can be generous with our time. The idea of margin, building in space and breathing room is so critical and so key if you want to be rich, if you want to live generously, that we're going to spend an entire morning talking about it because it has the power to transform not only your finances, but your family. It has has the power to transform your relationship with God. I'm going to tell you something obvious. We're going to put a a graph here on the screen. You're living on a percentage of your income. That's pretty obvious, right? That's everybody would say, yeah, of course, I'm living on some percentage of the amount of money that I earn in any given week. Ideally, your earning potential throughout your life would be like that, right? It would just be on the upward trajectory. I recognize that's not always the case. There are like dips and peaks and valleys and it's up and down. You get a promotion, you get laid off, it's back and forth. But let's just simplify it. Let's say that throughout your life, your earnings just go up and up and up and up and up, which I hope they do. That would be wonderful for you. Ideally, you're spending your spend, the amount that goes out would be lower than your income, right? Duh. I didn't know that. Nobody ever told me that. But that's what you want to see. You want to see some space. 
you don't want to spend 100% of everything that you earn. So if, you're, uh, if you have an average income, let's say here in Alberta, let's say it's $100,000 of household income. We'll assume two people are working in your home. If you have that 100000 you should probably try to live on less than 100000 The weird thing about finances is that it's in fact possible to live on more than 100% of your income. Ideally, you would have this space where your spending wasn't outpacing your earnings. But as you'll see in this next slide here, the way most of us live, and I say us because I'm guilty of this just like anybody else, the way most of us live is we think if I've got $100,000 in income, then I've got $100,000 to spend. Look at all the stuff that I could buy. Think of all the vacations I could take. I could get a new truck. I could move to a bigger place. We think if I've got that much money, then that's how much I've got to spend. But what ends up happening is that none of us are capable of living on just 100% of our income. If you decide you're going to live on 100% of everything you take in, ultimately you're going to get to the place where you say, "Ah, I need a little bit more. And so you'll pull out Visa or MasterCard and you'll go buy whatever you want to. And suddenly you're not living on 100% of your income. You're living on 102 or 103 or 105% of your income. You can do that for a little while, but you can't do that long-term as I found out as a young teenager. The average consumer debt load in Alberta, the average consumer debt load is $27,599. These are consumer debts credit cards, your car, whatever it is, the average Alberta household has almost $28,000 in consumer debt. The reality is most of us are living on more than 100% of our income. And then you look at the statistics on giving and you see that the average Canadian donates $123 during the year to charitable causes. One hundred and twenty-three dollars out of let's say a hundred grand in salary. Now that's not surprising. It's no wonder that we can only donate one hundred and twenty-three dollars when we're spending every single dollar that comes in. That's not surprising. If this is the way that we live our lives, we will never be able to be generous. We will never have the opportunity to give the way that we should. Here's the problem. We've confused standard of living with quality of life. That's what we've done. Every one of us have bought into this, that our standard of living is the same as our quality of life. And so if we want our quality of life to go up, then we also need our standard of living to go up. We think there's a direct correlation. If we get more money, if our standard of living increases, then of course our quality of life is going to go up as well. But I'm going to tell you, that's not always the case. It's entirely possible for your standard of living to go up and your quality of life to go down in the process. If your standard of living goes up, but it causes you stress because you're wondering how you're going to pay all of these bills. If your standard of living goes up, but you feel pressure every single day, if that's where you're at, then I'm telling you your standard of living might have increased, but your quality of life has actually gone down. You see, you can raise your standard of living through debt, but you can only raise your quality of life through discipline. That's the only way. You have to learn to be disciplined in your financial life, in your scheduling, in your relationships, whatever it is, 
The only way to raise the quality of life that you have, the only way I can raise my quality of life is if I learn discipline. An undisciplined life might give you a higher standard of living, but it cannot give you a higher quality of life. Here's what nobody ever told me. If you live rich before you get rich, you'll never be rich. If you live rich before you get rich, you will never have the chance to be rich. That's because if you haven't built any margin into your finances or your time or your relationships or whatever it is, if you haven't built any margin into that, then you don't have any extra with which to give. There's no opportunity for you to be generous. If you live rich before you get rich, you cannot be rich. Let's go back two slides here. Let's put that second graph on the screen. If your financial life looks like that, you know what that is? That's stress. That's worry. That's pain. That is a tough spot to be day in and day out. And yet, that's where a huge number of people in our neighborhoods live. It's entirely possible that you live in that space right now. But if we go forward one more, we see this. This is what we want ideally, less spending than earnings. You know what that white space is called right there? (sighs) That's what that's called. It's called peace. It's called breathing room. It's called freedom. It's the opportunity to do with your resources what you want to do with them rather than what somebody else tells you you have to do with them. I really believe God wants every single person to experience that margin, that freedom. This applies, again, to finances, to relationships, to your time. The best thing you can do for yourself is to start to give yourself a little bit of margin. Now, look, Jesus knew this. He knew if you don't have margin, then you're going to have to live according to your obligations and not your opportunities. If you don't have any space in your finances or your calendar or your relationships or whatever it is, you are going to struggle. You are going to be stressed every single day. Jesus knew that. And 2,000 years ago, he said something really, really fascinating. We're going to read one more passage. We're just going to read it. We're not going to dig through it very much. Luke chapter number 16, verse number 9. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest or if you are incapable in little things, then you won't be honest. You won't be capable with greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy with worldly wealth, then who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Then in verse 13, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus doesn't play around when it comes to finances. We've mentioned over the last couple of weeks that he talks about it a lot because finances are God's chief competitor for your heart. God's number one enemy for your affections, for your devotion, it's not the devil, it's not the world, it's money. That is the easiest thing for us to trust in, for us to chase after. That is the number one thing that God has to fight in our lives. And so Jesus talks about it a lot. And probably in his most blunt statement, he says, you cannot serve God and money. 
one of them is going to be in charge in your life. Jesus lived at a time where there weren't even credit cards, and yet he nailed this. If I have a $10,000, $20,000 balance on my cards, then I'm not free to give. I'm actually obligated to pay. I can't use my resources to bless the world around me. Instead, I'm forced to use them to pay down whatever obligations and contracts that I've put onto myself. Jesus says you cannot chase after wealth and chase after God. One of them is going to end up calling the shots in your life. I learned the hard way what Proverbs chapter number 22 says. Proverbs 22 says the the borrower becomes servant to the lender. That is, if you borrow money, whether it's from your parents or from Visa, they get to dictate then how you spend your money moving forward. Until you pay them back, they're the ones who get to call the shots. And if you don't, they get to come after you. The worst thing we can do is to live without margin. The best thing you can do is to give yourself some breathing room and some space. It'll be good for your marriage if you do that. You know that finances are the number one cause of fights and divorces, number one across all marriages in North America. It would be good for your kids because you'd be less stressed out and so you wouldn't get as annoyed with them as you often do. It would be good for you and your relationship with God because you could understand then I can trust God. He can meet my needs even if I don't have the standard of living that I always thought that I would. The best thing you can do for yourself is to give yourself margin, room to breathe, freedom with which to live generously. So let me, let me talk to you quickly about how to do that. We're gonna wrap up here. I wanna tell you quickly how you can create some margin. This is really what you need to do. If you wanna live generously, again, this is all, if you're not a Jesus person, this is a good pep talk. That's all this is. This is self-help. You can put this into practice and your life will be better for it. You will be richer for it. It would be a great thing for you. But if you're here this morning and you say, no, I'm a Jesus person, I'm a Christian, then this stuff is non-negotiable. This is part of what it means to follow Jesus. We live generously. We live with margin. And I think it's not quite as hard as we like to make it out to be. See, we think if I'm going to create margin, then my earnings have to go up. If I just made more money, then I would have money to give. But we talked about this back in week number one. If you don't do it now, you won't do it then. And we know that every time our earning potential goes up, we have a tendency to just increase our spending right alongside of it. Because if we're always living on 100% of our income, then we're always going to be spending everything we get, whether that's 50000 100 or 150000 We will find new vacations to take. We will find more cars to buy. We will find more clothes to wear. We will find some way to spend what we take in. So the key to creating margin is not earning more. You don't ever even know if you're going to get more money. Like who's to say that you'll ever get that promotion? You might be topped out in your salary. I hope not. I hope it continues to go up, but who knows? It's an uncertain thing. That's why the scripture says, don't put your uh, hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. The key to creating margin is not to increase the amount of money that you earn. It's to decrease the amount of money that you spend. That's the key. It's not the easiest thing in the world, but that's really what needs to happen. You've got to spend a little bit less than what you make. 
Remember, this is not so, I'm not telling you all of this so that you can donate money to connect. I'm telling you that you can have financial peace, you can have margin, you can have breathing room, you can have the freedom that you've always wanted, but it doesn't come with getting a promotion and a raise. It comes when you learn to live on less than 100% of the resources that God has given you. What you should do, this is what I eventually had to do. It was an ugly, ugly process. But what I eventually had to do was make a budget for myself. I had never seen a financial budget. I had never made one. And eventually I had to say, all right, I'm gonna sit down and figure out all the money I have coming in and all the money that I have going out. So for the first part of our marriage, Amber and I wrote down literally every dollar we spent, everything. If I bought a soda at the gas station, we wrote it down at the end of the day so that we had an understanding of how much was coming in and how much is going out. Many of you have done that for years. You're financially wise. You've been keeping track of how much you spend. That's fantastic. Some of you started doing that a long time ago, but you haven't done it in years. It might be a great idea if your uh, earnings and your spending are a little too close together these days. It might be a good idea to do that again. And some of you have never done that. And I'm telling you, just having that information, you don't even have to act on it. But if you just know where your money's going, that will be extremely helpful to you. When it comes to budgeting, I love what John Maxwell says. He's an author and a speaker. And he says, a budget is is you telling your money where to go rather than you wondering where your money went. That's what a budget ultimately is. It's you telling your money where to go rather than wondering where did the money go? I have no idea where in the money, where in the world all that money went. You've got to develop a budget and then you've got to live on a little bit less. If you do that, you'll create the margin that you need in order to live generously in order to be rich, in order to give the way that God calls us to give our time and our finances to the world around us. You owe it to yourself, to your family, to your relationship with God to build in some margin. It'll be the healthiest thing you've ever done for yourself. You got to get to the point, if you're going to do this, if you want to spend less, you've got to get to the point where you say, I want is better than I owe. You've got to get to the point where you're better off. You realize it's better for me to live life saying, oh, I want that, I wish I had that, than to say, oh, I'm still paying on that iPhone I traded in two generations ago. You got to get to that point. You got to tell yourself constantly, I'm doing that right now. There's a new camera I want to go buy, you guys. It's so sweet. I'm telling you, it'll make me an Instagram star. I'm so excited to get this camera. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I'm totally serious. <laughs> I'm just like, man, this camera, this, I need this, I need this. And it would be really easy for me to go out. I've got three cards in my wallet right now. I could go plop it down and buy it. But I've decided that I want is better than I owe. And so for a little while, at least, I've been able to say, Dan, you can't really afford to pay for it yet, so don't go out and buy it. I'm selling guitars. I'm selling stuff around the house. Amber's like, you can't sell that. I'm trying to figure out some way that I can have the money to buy the things that I want because I've decided that I want is better than I owe. And when you learn that, then you can start to build margin. You can start to spend less. You can have that freedom to then buy what you want or give what you want. But until you build that margin in, it can't happen. And then the last thing I would encourage you to do is to practice percentage giving. And I've told you every single week, you don't have to give here, just give somewhere. I would love for you to give here, but give somewhere, some worthy cause in our city or our country. Find somebody or something worth giving to. Choose a percentage of your income and then give it away consistently. It'll be one of the best financial decisions you ever make. I decided early on when I was getting my financial life in order that for me, there was nothing more important in the world than telling people about God's love 
that the mission of Jesus through the local church, that I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to make that happen. And so while I was getting my financial life in order, Amber and I decided early on that we were going to give away 10% of our money to the church. And we had nothing. We were still living in Texas trailer parks, but we decided it was so important to us. And it was such a need in our heart and around the world that we were going to contribute. And so we sent our percentage and we started giving. We weren't always faithful in the beginning, but now for years, that's been our practice. Now, look, if you're like, what, 10%? I'm not giving away 10%. Relax. I'm not asking you to. I'm asking you to set a percent. Maybe it's half a percent. Maybe it's 1%. Maybe it's two or three or five. I'm asking you to set a percent and then give it consistently. Not because the church needs your money. Remember, we talked last week about how God owns everything. It's not like God pulls a 20 out of his pocket and he's like, sweet, he, already, he owns it all. He doesn't need anything that we could offer him. But giving is the best way to break the grip on our hearts that stuff has. It is the best way. You know what I've discovered in my life? I never miss money that I give. I miss money I waste, but I never miss money I give. When there's somebody in need and I give them money, that's less money that I could spend on myself. But I'm never like, dang, man, I shouldn't have been so generous. Never. I never, ever think that. When I give to the church, I'm not like, man, you know, I could, I could pay for this or for that. I could buy my camera with my tithe this week. No. Instead, I say, listen, I am contributing to something bigger than myself. I know I built enough margin in there that I could give 1%, 2%, 5%, 10% and still have breathing room left. And so I'm free. I'm free to be rich. If you were to sum up kind of all the teachings in the scripture, on finances, all the things that we would want for you as attenders and members here at Connect Church, this would be it. We want you to live on mission with margin. That's it. That is like my mission statement for my financial life. And I hope it'll be the mission statement that you adopt for yours. That you will live purposefully in your finances. Rather than letting your finances or your desires or your wants dictate what happens, you will be the one in charge and you'll give to whatever causes you think are worth giving to. You'll live on mission and you'll do it with margin so that you've got the peace, the breathing room that you ought to have in your life. I've been kind of preachy today. I know that. I know it's a little weird to hear some rando that you've never met talk about your financial life. I want to remind you, I had to learn all this stuff myself. And I can tell you, having been on both sides of that line, I am much happier over here. My standard of living might be a little bit lower, but my quality of life is through the roof because I've got margin and I've been living generously on a regular, consistent basis. That's what I hope for you. 